For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bienvenidos, señoras y señores, to the Bleed Los Podcast. This episode of the Carne Asada is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, game trends on Bet Online. And as your continued source for all your sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that's the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. So head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use your promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. And joining us on the Carne Asada is our Dominican brother, the uh, Juan Toribio, the, um, the, uh, the El Principe de Miami. Um, he writes for MLB. He covers the Dodgers. He's the Dodgers beat writer for MLB.com. So let's get that out of the way. Make sure you guys are subscribed. My girl gets all her news from you, by the way, Toribio. The other day she goes, isn't he the guy that comes on your show? And I was just like, how are you reading his stuff? I had no clue that she reads your stuff. So that's how she gets her Dodger news. But Juan, how are you? Everything's good. Well, tell her I, I say I'm sorry for having to read my, my word. <laughs> uh, but no, everything's good. Everything's good. How about you guys? Fantastic. All right, let's get right into it. There's a lot of stuff I want to talk about, but I want to start with the obvious, uh, the player movement, and let's start with Cody Bellinger. You had actually written a piece earlier about the three options that the Dodgers could go. Did you see the writing on the wall? Did you know that they were going to non-tender him? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know till it was done, but yeah, you can kind of you can kind of get a sense that that's the way they were leaning. Um, I talked to some people. Uh, and it's just it, it ultimately came down to they. It's not that they don't want Cody Bellinger on the team. It's just they they don't think they can pay nineteen, eighteen, twenty million dollars for a guy who, for two years, I mean, to be frank, has become a defensive specialist at this point. Um, I know fans don't like to hear that, but that's the reality of who he has been in the last two seasons. That's not to say that he can't turn it around, um, but you're paying people for what they currently are, and he's not the 2019 MVP anymore. He's the guy who had a 654 OPS last year and a 542 OPS in 2021. So I think they, it's not that they don't want to keep him. They're going to try and get him back. Uh, good luck with that. It's going to be a, a busy market. A lot of teams are going to be interested in him. But he's a guy that they just couldn't, with everything else that they have to do this offseason, they couldn't necessarily justify paying him $20 million. And that's why the decision was made. They tried to, you know, they called some teams to see if they were interested in, in a trade. But again, no team is going to pay $19 million for, for Cody Bellinger 
and his and his current production. His past production, for sure. Uh, maybe even his future production, but for his current production, twenty million dollars is just a little bit aggressive for, like I said, someone who's just not hitting right now. So, do we know who those teams were that they were looking at trades for? No, we talked to Andrew Friedman yesterday, uh, and obviously he wouldn't get into the details because that that would impact the, the, like those teams' uh, pursuit in free agency. Um, but there's a lot of teams that are going to be interested. I mean, I know the Cardinals are going to be interested, the Cubs are going to be interested, Tampa Bay is going to be interested. Uh, Miami is going to be interested. There's the uh, Toronto. Uh, there's a lot of teams looking for a guy who can play elite center field. I mean, th- that's the one thing that he does do is play elite center field. He can hit you 20, 25 home runs. So even if he doesn't turn back to that Cody Bellinger that Dodger fans kind of became accustomed to seeing, he can still be a pretty good player. Uh, it just It's a matter of can he do that in L.A.? Or does he need a change of scenery? Uh, that's ultimately what he's going to have to decide here in the next couple of months. You know, it was interesting. I, 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 in your article, when you started mentioning about the option of, you know, maybe not tendering and then trying to re-sign him, I think the issue that you run up against, and you mentioned it in your article, in the playoffs, that game three and game four, when he didn't start, I immediately thought that's going to be really hard to bring this guy back. When it's the most important games of the season, you basically said, we're going to ride with someone else. But correct me if I'm wrong, Toribio. I, I get it that Trace Thompson had, you know, some really, he had better moments than Bellinger towards the end. But if you look at Thompson's numbers, I mean, the strikeouts are a little alarming, aren't they? I mean, it doesn't seem like they have a good op- backup option, do they? No, I mean, back to your point, like in game two, if you, if you even go back to game two and he got pinch hit for Austin Barnes, granted, it was Josh Hader, who's like a killer against lefties. They take him out for the backup catcher. I mean, as good as Austin Barnes kind of hit towards the end of the season, he's still the backup catcher. If he would have told anyone that three years ago that Cody Bellinger is going to get hit, pinch hit for Austin Barnes, people would call you nuts. So th- that was in game two. And then game three, you sit him because Snow's on the mound. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but then in game four, you have Musgrove on the mound. And like you said, it's the biggest game of the season, and he's not in there. At that point, again, it goes back to justifying how much money you can actually pay him. So if you're going to pay a guy $20 million, you're going to need him to be in your lineup in the biggest games of the season. And clearly the Dodgers, in his current state, did not feel comfortable doing that with him. So it's it's a tough situation. And if, if you want to be real, like he, he probably makes some of those plays that Trace Thompson doesn't make in game four in center field because he is that good defensively. Uh, so there's, it's just a balancing act of the, you prioritize offense. And I, I, I do believe that if the Dodgers were clicking offensively in the first three games of that series, Cody probably plays game four. But, at the, you know, how, how things had kind of lined up, the offense kind of uh, couldn't get going in game three, couldn't get going in, get two, in game two. And outside of that first inning, they really didn't get going um, at all. So I think if the offense would have been in a better spot, Cody would have been in the lineup. It's just, it, it's not the way it worked out. And, and like I said, you can't justify put, paying a guy 20 million when he's not going to be in your lineup in the biggest game of the year. Well, you know, in the end, I, I think it's kind of a no brainer uh, for the Dodgers because you mentioned it in, and you've mentioned it here earlier. You can't be paying that guy that amount of money. Now, with the other moves that they did by not, you know, picking up Justin Turner, there's all this talk that they have freed up what may be a close to $100 million. But here's the problem. Part of that is going to go to Kershaw. 
How realistic should we really be thinking about the luxury tax with the Dodgers? Because I I don't see them spending going crazy. I know there's those ridiculous rumors about Aaron Judge, but what do you think the Dodgers are going to do with all that money? Yeah, I can I can almost guarantee you they're not going to spend it a hundred million dollars. I mean, I, I think so. There's a fact they they have they've removed a hundred million from their payroll from from last year's payroll. But last year's payroll was like an absurd amount. So if you remove that, it doesn't mean that they have a hundred million dollars to spend. That just means that they're a hundred million dollars less than last season. They're not going to spend the whole a hundred million dollars. At some point, you have to reset the cap or the tax. I guess you could say. Um, teams do that all the time. The Dodgers did that not too long ago, um, after 18 and 19, I believe it was. Um, so you're going to have to reset that tax. It's just a matter of how much can you go over. I, I'm not too – with the new CBT, honestly, I don't know I don't know the rules too too well. I guess I probably should. Uh, but this, it, it's just a – it's a complicated thing. Will they be at $290 million in payroll? Absolutely not. Will they be at 270 Probably not. Could they be at 240 245 yeah if the right pieces come along and they could do that if, you, if a freddie freeman's out there in march on march 10th and you can kind of go over a little bit more th- there's a different there's a different conversation there but i think people are, are misinterpreting the fact that they've shed a hundred million uh some of that like you said it is going to go to kershaw so you, they'll probably have you know 80 85 whatever it may be um uh, and then at that point they're going to have to determine all right how much of that can we actually spend but it won't. I can almost, like I said, I can almost guarantee you that it won't be the full hundred million dollars. So, like with a hundred million dollars, you can go and get Judge and Trey Turner. Like that's not going to happen. Like I, I think that's a, an unrealistic take uh, by some people. But like I said, it's just a matter of how much of that hundred million dollars are they actually willing to spend. Like to me, I, I think Trey Turner is a foregone conclusion that he's gone. What is more interesting to me is what they're going to do with Justin Turner. Because I, I, I feel, yes, I think the postseason you saw, I mean, he wasn't the only one that didn't perform. But for the most part, I think that guy's contributions now are in that locker room. So you don't bring Justin Turner back. You're going to really lose that presence in that locker room. But it seems like hearing from Justin Turner lately, he doesn't seem too optimistic that the Dodgers are going to be able to work something out. And I feel he thinks he still has some something left in the tank and i don't know how comfortable he's going to be with just being a dh a a full-time dh or or three quarters what do you think the dodgers are going to do with justin turner yeah i think you nailed it i think that's the risk that you take when you let someone go right like now he's going to hear from other teams and saying no dude we we still think you could play third base every day and that's if that's something that you want to do come to us and we'll, we'll make that happen. I mean, the Dodgers are pretty pretty open about he's not going to play third base every day here. He's going to DH a lot. They still need to find Miguel Vargas some playing time. So that's a three. There's, there's three guys in, in two spots. And Miguel Vargas, they, they want him to have 400, 500-ish at-bats this season. So who, who takes a hit? Probably Justin Turner. Now, is he okay with, like you said, is he okay with taking that? Or is he is someone else going to come and say, hey, dude, like, we, we got you. We're going to give you 700 plate appearances. You're going to be our guy in third base. And like you said, he, he might feel like that's the best thing for him. Uh, and that's the risk, like I said. That's the risk with Cody Bellinger. That's the risk with Justin Turner. You might want to bring these guys back. But the reality is some other team can come in. I mean, we saw with Tyler Anderson. They, the Dodgers wanted Tyler Anderson back. But what happened? The Angels came in and said, we'll give you three years. The Dodgers were like, all right, we probably can't go three years. 
So Tyrone says, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to Anaheim. So that's the risk that the Dodgers are taking right now. Uh, my ultimately, if I had to bet on it on, what is it, November 19th, uh, I would say Justin Turner is, is back at some point this, this offseason. Uh, but that could change, man. I mean, that could change really quickly. Uh, I think we saw last, last time around Milwaukee made a pretty big pitch for him. He really considered that. Uh, so he wants to be here. I think the Dodgers have some interest in bringing him back. Now it's just a matter of can they see eye to eye and agree on all those things that we just kind of talked about. Am I overstating his importance in the locker room? Like if Justin Turner doesn't come back, does that locker room go to shit next next season? No, I don't think so. I mean, he's obviously a big part of it. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but I don't think so. I mean, there's there's still so many leaders on that team. He played in Kershaw on the pitching side. Uh, and then at some point, you know, Mookie Betts is going to have to kind of control that locker room. I mean, he's the guy that's going to be here for a long time. Um, at some point, whether he wants it or not, he it is going to be his team. Uh, I think Freddie Freeman uh, brought a, break, a big presence to that locker room even last year in his first year. Now that he gets a little bit more comfortable with that team, um, I think he could step, he could take a step up. You still have Max Muncy, Austin Barnes. Um, they have a lot of guys in there that have a voice. Um, obviously, having another one in Justin Turner, someone who's been through everything, uh, that definitely helps. But I don't think that's a big, that's a big thing. And, and again, that this it's a tough, it's a tough situation because you can't pay guy, you can't pay a guy strictly for for clubhouse stuff, right? Like you have to think that it makes sense on the field as well. Um, and Justin Turner has meant a lot to this organization, and that's certainly going to be part of the uh, baked in the cake. But at some point, it's can he help us on the field? Is he our best option? Um, and they're going to have to figure that out. So you, you mentioned Tyler Anderson. And I, I, this is why I like having you on the show, because you keep it real. But I also get it. You work for MLB. But let me ask you this. Tyler Anderson taking that three-year deal for the Angels, does that say more about the fact that he didn't think he could replicate his success this year? So he took the the security of three years because if he thinks hey you know what i can do this again wouldn't that be a bigger payday for him if he can put up the same numbers next year as he did this past year yeah that's a good question i i i have no idea honestly like i think it, it varies per player i mean I, I can go back to when i covered tampa bay and brandon lau signed like an eight-year 49 million dollar deal uh, but he only had like 72 played appearances in the big league. So I was like, all right, that makes sense. Like he's securing $49 million. Um, and then that same, that same uh, spring training, Blake Snell signed a five-year $50 million deal after coming off of Cy Young. And I was like, what is he doing? And then at one point he told me, he's like, dude, it's $50 million. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. I mean, it's, like, it's so much money. Like, we're so I, I think we're kind of used to seeing all like these crazy amount of numbers, and we're like, oh, he should have taken more. But it's like fifty million dollars is a lot of money. And like, I granted, it's not a hundred, it's not a hundred and fifty million dollars, but that's a lot of money. And I think with Tyler Anderson, forty million, uh, and you, you know how pitchers are, man. He's dealt with a lot of injuries in his career. Uh, he, he's one pitch away from not getting any money, right? Like that's the reality when you're a pitcher. Uh, so three years, forty million or 39 million, whatever it was, um, there is some security to that. And not having to change teams after next season, that there's also a benefit in that, just kind of knowing, all right, I'm going to be here for three years, probably my last big contract of my career. Uh, he hasn't made a ton of money uh, compared to, like, big leaguers. <laughs> in terms of the, the normal life, he's made a lot of money. But, uh, 
I think the security of the of the thirty nine million dollars and and the three years. I think the three years is probably the bigger part because uh, he was gonna get twenty million, right? Like that's still a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that three years is probably the the factor, the biggest factor into that. So is this just my cynicism or I I don't remember Friedman being this open about considering giving spots to their young pitchers. So part of me is just like, okay, is he's using this as an excuse to reset? Like, you know, we're going to use our young pitching, so we're not going to spend a lot of money. We're going to lower our payroll. Or is it, look, you guys have to do something with those guys down there. You can't keep them down. Gavin Stone, Bobby Miller, you can't keep those guys down there. Like, now that Tyler Anderson's gone, you're gonna, you've lost Bueller. Blake Trinan is gone now. Like, what is the pitching staff, both on the starting side and the bullpen, going to look like for the Dodgers? Yeah, they're going to need to get outside help. I mean, I know that he's saying, you know, we need these young guys. Uh, but the reality is they only have four guys right now. They have Peyton Kershaw, Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May, and Julio Rios. Of those four, Tony Gonsolin hasn't pitched the full season in a long time. Dustin May, Tommy John last year, end of the year hurt. Um, he has a great arm. There's no denying that. But it's it's a matter of putting it all together. Before the injury, before the Tommy John, it would look like it was getting there. Um, but how long is it going to take him for him to get back to that point? It could be next season. It could be in two seasons. There's really no way to tell other than taking a bet on the guy. Uh, and then Clayton Kershaw, I mean, he missed two months. As great as he was last year, and when he was on the mound, he was dominant. He missed two months of a back injury, and, and that back injury is something that he's going to have to deal with for the rest of his career. He knows that. The Dodgers know that. Uh, and then you have Julio, and, and I don't know how realistic it is to ask him to go 230 innings again, uh, or not again, but take an even a bigger step. Um, that's a lot to ask out of a guy, especially when you're when you're trying to get into deep into October. Uh, so of those four guys, they're, they're going to need to add a proven guy for sure. Um, and then they're going to need some, one, one or two of those young, young guys to kind of start stepping up. They need Ryan Pepe to step up. They need Gavin Stone to step up. They need Bobby Miller, um, who, who still needs some polishing. Um, but it's gonna, I, I think they need some outside help for sure, whether it's by be a trade or a free agency. Um, I don't know how how big of a name the guy has to be, but they're gonna need someone who can a eat innings and b throw throw actually good innings. I mean, there's there's a difference between eating innings and actually pitching well, and they're gonna need someone who pitches really well uh, to kind of get that rotation back in order. So I I, I find it very interesting of the guys that they non tendered. Uh, Edwin Rios, because that was a guy, it seems like whenever he played, he, he produced. And last year, the injury, I think, really Wally pipped him in a sense, because after that, he, I mean, he was healthy right towards the end of the season. The Dodgers just didn't didn't call him up. So you mean to tell me there, there was no way they could have gotten a trade? They couldn't gotten anybody for Edwin Rios? Yeah, that was that was probably a little bit surprising. Uh, if you would have asked me in October, I would have said, "Yeah, he's probably gonna get non-tendered." And like, no inside info. It was just they haven't called him up. They don't even mention his name. About it, it was all, "Yeah, Miguel Vargas might make it. Yeah, James Albin might make the roster." And everyone's like, "All right, but what about Edwin Rios?" Uh, he wasn't even mentioned in those conversations. So at that point, you starting you start kind of get a sense of like, "All right, they're not that in on this guy anymore." Uh, for what reason, I don't know. Uh, his defense was a big a big problem in the minors, even after he came back from his injury. Um, and I also think that the fit part of it is true. 
Uh, he can't really play first base and third base because you have Freddie Freeman, who plays every single day at first base. And then at third base, you have Max Muncy, who's also a left-handed hitter. Uh, so there's really no need for for Edwin Rios. So if you, unless you're going to keep him in the minor leagues uh, and probably have him be pretty pissed off <laughs> most of the season because he, <laughs> he believes that he's a major league player and, and he's proven that he is. Uh, I think the, the right decision there was probably to non-tender him. But I was surprised that no team traded for him. Um, I think that was the... Of all the things that happened, that was probably the, the most surprising one. Wow. So uh, that being said, I mean, they, they need they need outside help in pitching. And it looks like, you know, with Bellinger gone, I don't know if they have enough people for for in, in the field, to tell you the truth, unless they do give these guys, uh, these young guys a chance. There is these ridiculous rumors. This is part of the reason I hate this time of year because everybody reports everything. But the Dodgers making a trade maybe to get um, a certain pitcher from the Milwaukee Brewers along with a a shortstop. Uh, And I'm not going to say that some guy who hosts Dodger Talk is putting that trade out there and playing GM. But how realistic, I mean, if the Dodgers end up trading some of these prospects that we've heard, like maybe a Michael Bush and something like that, what does that say? Because all we kept hearing is these guys are next, the next guy's coming. And if they do end up using him in a trade, like, are we talking about an overhaul going on in here? Because for so many, 10 years now, consistency has been the key with this team. And it kind of feels like right now is, is a time of change. Yeah, I mean, I came on this show during the trade that right before the trade deadline, and I said, "Trade every prospect you have for." <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm it's not I'm not an anti-prospect. I promise to the prospect people listening. But if you can get Corbin Burns and Willie Adams, I don't care who has to go to Milwaukee. You you make that trade, uh, just because you're getting a, a shortstop who can hit 30 home runs, play pretty good defense, under contract for two more years. Uh, I know him pretty well from my days in Tampa. Uh, he works really hard. And then you have Corbin Burns, who's one of the best pitchers in baseball, like point blank. I mean, this whole this whole thing about starting pitching that we just talked about, it all goes away if you get a guy like Corbin Burns. You get that guy in your in your rotation. You have him, Julio, Tony Gonson, Dustin May, and Clayton Kershaw. Now, now you're now you're cooking. So that say uh, <laughs> he, plays, he plays the role of GM. Uh, but that's kind of what he does. But I mean, that's not that's not necessarily a thing that's happening. Um, I, I know that for a fact. Um, Milwaukee still needs to figure out what they're gonna do. They have like a, they just changed regime, so like, like they have a new GM now. He has to figure out: Am I gonna just trade everyone away? Am I gonna make one last push at this? Uh, how much money am I gonna have to spend? Uh, I think Corbin Burns making ten million next year. Willie Adams is making eight million next year. Uh, for a team like Milwaukee, that's pretty significant. Uh, they just traded Josh Hader away last trade deadline. So maybe they are trying to blow things up. Um, and if the Dodgers can get him a haul, I don't see why they wouldn't do that. For those two players, uh, Andrew Friedman traded for Willie Adams once uh, in Tampa Bay. He was part of the, the David Price trade over there in Tampa Bay. He can do it again. And like I said, Kerbin Burns, he eliminates all your concerns in starting pitching. So if, you, if that's something that they want to do with Vasse being the GM, uh, I think they should definitely do it. Well, I'm, I'm going to let Babyface ask you a question that hopefully yeah. you can answer for him because I've we've always told him he always brought this up and we always thought it was ridiculous. So go ahead, Babyface. Maybe Toribio can convince you how ridiculous your question is. Let's hear it. All right. Uh, 
I heard this a lot. I mean, I, I maybe it was to the extreme, but when when Bellinger was struggling, there was a lot of talk. Like people would say, like, why don't they send him down? Why don't they send him down to the minor leagues? Right? I mean, why didn't they? I mean, yeah, I get the, I get like maybe in the minors, not going to be much different than what he was doing in, you know, in the big leagues. But it, it would have been a shot to the ego, I think. Right? So you know, getting sent down. Hey, former MVP. Maybe something changes now. Now I think getting non-tendered, he might have a chip on his shoulder coming back next year. Kind of, so it's kind of the same thing, right? So why didn't they send him down? I mean, they could have sent him down, right? Yeah, I mean, they did it with Max Muncy. Uh, I mean, they, Max Muncy was injured, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, Muncy was injured, so they, they sent him down for ten days, and then he came back and had two home runs in the first game back. Um, they definitely could have done that, but it's I think it's. It's so hard because AAA pitching is nowhere near Major League Baseball pitching. I mean, the, the drop-off is significant. I mean, for us, it's, you think it's like, oh, it's just one level down. No, it's like night and day. Uh, every guy you talk to says, yeah, I go to AAA and I crush, and then I come back to the big leagues, and I'm like, whoa, what just happened? It's like a different game. So I think there's a lot. I mean, I'm, I, th- I guess that could have been an option with Bellinger. Uh, I just don't think – first of all, the player needs to be okay with that. Uh, kind of going back down there for 20 days and and working on some things and and Bellinger felt like he was every every time Bellinger had a big week it felt like he was back right and and I, I think the, the I think the biggest problem with Bellinger was he was always trying to chase 2019 Bellinger right because that's just the team that he did it with the Dodgers are, that's what people expect here in LA because he set such a high bar for himself in his first three years so every time he had a good week it was like all right I got it and then the swing starts changing a little bit more because you start pressing a little bit. You don't get the results again. And then all the progress you made kind of goes back down. Um, and that's kind of what I meant. Like, can he can he get back to form here in, in Los Angeles? Uh, that's something that he's going to have to figure out and the Dodgers are going to have to figure out. Because um, if, if he can go to maybe to, like, Miami, right, and, and play loose and not have to deal with those expectations anymore, maybe he gets back to that. I, I think there's a lot of it is physical, a lot of it is mental uh, with him. Uh, I think he getting stronger is going to benefit him even more. I think two years removed from surgery is kind of when guys start getting back into into things. Uh, it's just it's hard. It's it's such a it, it, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen a guy win MVP three years ago and be a free agent being let go by that same team three years later. So it's it's tough. It's tough to like. I don't think there's any precedent to this. I don't think there's any way any right or wrong way to kind of go about what we just saw with Cody Bellinger. Do you know, are, are those reports true about him that he was resistant to change, that he wanted to do things, especially a lot's been made about him constantly changing his batting stance. And the, uh, you hear these reports that a lot of the Dodgers coaching staff or people in the organization were telling him, just, you know, just stop changing it so much. But he was insistent that he wanted to do that his own way. Is there any truth to that? No, I don't think so, honestly. I think in 21, I think there's some truth to that. I think it was like, I've, I've been good doing what I do. Like, I'm not changing things, right? And that happens to every player. Like once you you have all that success, you're like, why would I change? Like look look at the back of my baseball card. I had 47 home runs two years ago, but then like the the shoulder was a real problem last year. So eventually, once he hit rock bottom, 
there in St. Louis in September, he's like, all right, maybe I should change something. That's when he kind of brought the hands back down. And he had some success doing that. I mean, he had a, a pretty big postseason. I mean, he hit the biggest home run against the Braves, and he had that huge single off Camilo Duval in, in game five of the NLDS. Uh, but then the, the problem was he came back into spring training with that same stance after the lockout. And then two days after that, he was back up again. And he was trying to figure out how to be that Cody Bellinger again. And I know that's part of that is him. And part of that is on the hitting coaches as well. I mean, there's a the hitting coaches is the is probably the worst job in, in professional <laughs> sports. Cause like, it's so hard hitting a baseball is so hard. So if, yeah. and if the guy is hitting, nobody's talking about the hitting coaches. It's all about the guy. If the guy isn't hitting, it's all about why the hitting coach is not fixing him. Uh, and I, but I do think it's tough. There's three hitting coaches. He had another guy back home in Phoenix. You have four different people kind of telling you what to do, what to do, what to do. Uh, and at some point, you don't know what to do. Uh, you don't know who to listen to. You don't know what to do. Uh, so I think there's a lot that, that went into the Cody Bellinger case and why he has struggled. Uh, I just don't, like I said, I just don't know if he could do that here. Uh, if he could fix that here, if he has to go somewhere else, uh, that I, I, to me, that's the biggest question that needs to be asked, uh, by both parties. So do we not talk about his injury enough? Yeah. The, the one in 2021 for sure. I mean, that was a big deal. I mean, that's a, that's a major surgery. He missed the first couple of weeks of spring training. Uh, initially, that was my first year on the beach, so I, you know, I wasn't too familiar with kind of everything that was going on. Uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll remind you, Geeke broke him, and Geeke gets a pass on this. Like nobody ever says anything about Geeke breaking him, but whatever. Go ahead. Yeah, I won't. I won't get. I will go there. I won't go there. Uh, <laughs> so at first, I was like, yeah, he might miss the first couple of weeks of spring, of, of the season, and then things changed and he was like, no, I'm good after two weeks of spring training. And the reality is he probably shouldn't have been good after two weeks of spring training, uh, which is kind of the same thing that Max Muncy went through this year. Uh, he probably should have started off on the IL and, and worked his way back up from the, from his injury. Um, guys always target opening day. That's like the, the thing. But people forget there's like seven months after that, right? Like you don't have to be there for opening day to be a part of the team. But anyway, that's side, side rant. Um but yeah, that, that that surgery was a big deal. And then if you guys remember, he broke his, you know, something happened to his fibula, yeah. and that freak injury against Oakland, and then he missed like a month after that. So he's working his way back, getting his swing back, and then he has another injury. Uh, then he had to crack ribs, uh, and also in 2021. I mean, 2021 was like a nightmare year for this guy. <laughs> like it, it was yeah. terrible. Uh, so I think some of that played into it. Now last year, I don't think the injury was was much of a of a factor. I mean, he came into spring training and he, he told me straight up a couple of times. He was like, I feel so strong. I feel good. I feel like I'm ready to go. That's why I don't necessarily buy the, if he's stronger next year, he could turn things around. I mean, it certainly does not hurt. Like if he's healthier and he's stronger, that's definitely a bonus. I just don't know if that's going to be the fix. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that go into his, his case. Uh, I think he needs to be okay with not being, an MVP caliber player. I think that's part of it too. I think the Dodgers need to be okay with him not being an MVP caliber player anymore. Uh, and if, it, if he needs to be a contact guy like he was in the playoffs, then that's what he should do. Uh, I think there's some some soul searching that all these parties are going to have to do with, with Cody Bellinger. I, you know what? I'm glad you bring that up because the, the, the thing is this, is I think the Dodgers are kind of in a no-win situation with him, right? Because they... You can't ignore the fact that it's now been, what, 
look, that year that he won the MVP, it was the first half that yeah. he was stellar. The second half, he, 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 he struggled. So you're now talking about two and a half years, and you laid it out beautifully. Thank you. You have the injury there. You have reasons. How much longer can you wait on this guy to 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 turn it around because you like you said you can't pay him to be a defensive specialist yeah that's i mean that's the tough part and like i get it with for fans it's not as simple as like a transaction there's there's feelings involved there's there's attachment like he's a dodger kind of people saw him grow up and become this like face of baseball almost right like it was him or christian yelich and then now it's like you you think that he's going to get back to that point at some point. Um, but the reality is some people don't. I mean, Christian Yelich has not gotten back to that point either. He's not. He hasn't been quite as bad as Cody Bellinger offensively, but he hasn't gotten back to that point. Giancarlo Stanton won an MVP, and he hasn't gotten back to that point since. Uh, I think there's, there's, there has to be a reality aspect of that. Uh, and I think the expectations are probably unfair for him here. Uh, nobody's fault that's just the reality of it he he had all that success here like i, I was a, you know i was a fan growing up and if a guy played well for my team that's what i expected every single night yeah. uh so i think maybe he maybe he needs to go somewhere else um again that's not my decision to make or like that's just kind of a, a thing that i think could benefit him uh but also getting back and if he if he comes back i think there needs to be a a reality check of like okay who do we need you to be we don't need you to be 2019 cody ballinger we just need you to not be a 654 ops guy with a bunch of strikeouts well yeah like like baby face said sending him to the minors would have been a blow to his ego he got he's hitting in the nine spot if the hitting in the nine spot wasn't a blow to your ego then I, right. I don't know what's going to happen to him. But you said something there about, you know, the the fans, the, the fan element about it. Yeah, all the fans were sad that Bellinger's gone, but they were also the same fans that were cursing him out last year because he sucked and they thought he was the reason why the Dodgers lost the playoffs. So I get it. The fans are emotional and, and they get into it, which leads me into, I'm going to let Babyface uh, go into this transition because he was very upset and in particular, I don't know if he was upset with you, Juan, but he's going to direct it towards you because you have a vote. And that was the Cy Young oh. Award. And 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 I, I'm going to let Babyface go into this. Let's hear it. But, but I, I, I know your theory, and I don't think you ever hit it. I think from the beginning, you had always told us that Sandy was who you thought was going to win. But go ahead, Babyface. Tell him why you think he shouldn't have a vote, that the writers should not be voting on this. Go ahead. Tell him. Uh, I, I saw Juan voted him second. He voted Julio second, which, which is fine. I knew it was going to be Sandy or Julio, right? One, two. That was the expectation, right? But, you know, for him to come in third, I think that's what pissed a lot of people off. And, and then what I saw when I looked at the actual votes, that people voted for him fourth and there was eight writers that didn't put him on the ballot at all. I'm like, what is that? That is total nonsense. And when you look at some of those writers that didn't put him on the, on the ballot at all, I think it was like Colorado, Arizona. Uh, he had a low vote from San Francisco. Like these guys see him all the time. How are they not putting him higher? At least one, two. I mean, with the numbers he had compared and then, you know, everybody's saying, oh, the, the, the innings pitched, you know, that was a big difference. Last year, the innings pitch didn't matter, right? right. So that's so, so we were seeing a lot of a lot of stuff like saying, well, 
should the writers actually have a vote if they're change if they're not being consistent with what they did last year to this year? What's the deal? Why why is it changing? Why is the criteria for this award changing? And like I said, my my beef is with the people that had them. I mean, for coming third, obviously, and then for people that didn't even have them, you know, fourth or fifth. Yeah, I mean, I honestly cannot argue with that. I, I think there is a lot of inconsistencies, and it's hard because, like, I can only vote for myself, right? Like, I can only control my vote. Uh, there's, what, 59 other people that vote, and I have no idea how those people are going to vote. Uh, until it literally comes out, I have no idea what the results are. I'm honestly kind of scared because I'm like, man, I don't want to be the one. Like, if I would have voted Julio first, I would have been the only guy to not vote for Sandy, and then, like, my matches would have been in shambles. Uh, <laughs> So it's like there's always like some like tense. I mean, I had 2018 AO Rookie of the Year between Otani and Miguel Andujar, and then like I voted for Miguel Andujar, and I had like the entire country, freaking country of Japan just on me, and I'm like, I'm sorry. Like anyway, but yeah, there's a lot. Of, it was brutal. It was brutal. Uh, and there is a lot of inconsistencies. And Cy Young is weird. I mean, I, it does change every year more so than MVP. Like I feel like MVP is pretty like clear like we're just gonna vote for the best player and if his team made it to the playoffs like maybe we'll give him a little bit of a bump uh Cy Young is weird uh I, I do think that the winner was the right winner uh I know Dodger fans don't want to hear that but I think Sandy's season if you look at it in totality it was a tremendous season I mean it wasn't just the innings if you look at the ERAs almost just as good as Julio's with like 45 more innings uh, if you look at the complete games, you look at all the stuff that he kind of did. Uh, he went seven innings or more in like almost every start. It was ridiculous. I mean, he had a complete game against the Dodgers. Uh, so he did a lot of good things that were deserving of him to win. Um, but I do actually agree with you. I think Julio should have finished second. Uh, I don't think he should have gone third. I don't think he should have been left off ballots. Um, I think that's pretty ridiculous. If, if a guy wants ERA, I think we've fallen into the trap of like, oh, the expected stats, right? Like, oh, his FIP was 350 or his like expected ERA was three something. I don't care about expected stats. Like, if you expected stats are cool if like the, the first week of the season or like the first month of the season, after six months, like, I don't care what should have happened. Like, you need to focus on what actually happened, whether it was defensive positioning or was it luck. It doesn't matter. It, that's what he had a 216 ERA. That's what happened. Uh, so he probably should have finished second. There's, I'm not denying that at all. Uh, it's tough. Like I said, it's tough because everyone has a different criteria. Some people value innings more. Some people value wins more. People value ERA more. People value FIP now. Like, Corbin Burns won last year because of his FIP. Like, I don't care about FIP. <laughs> I mean, like, that's just me. But, like, so last year I would have – I actually would have worked for Zach Wheeler because I think he, he deserved it. Uh, so it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough award to vote on. Uh, but I also think on the flip side of that, I mean, the players didn't vote Julio an all-star this year. So should they be voting? Because he wasn't even an all-star for, on their voting for their all-star game. Should should coaches vote for Julio? I mean, they had Juan Soto as a gold glove finalist, and he was the oh. worst player <laughs> in baseball. So, I mean, I, I don't think there's a perfect – I don't know. There's, there's not a perfect fix to this. I'm not saying the writer should vote. Like, if you take my vote away, like – I'll be okay. <laughs> there, there's a lot of they'll, they'll love you in Japan again, man. The Japoneses will be like, "Hey, Juan, welcome back." I went to Hawaii and I was I was like too close even there. I was like, "Oh man, they have no clue that I'm I'm close by." They're still mad at, and he won. Show he won. And they're still mad at 
Um, I mean, so the, yeah, I, I don't think there's a perfect science to voting. I think it's so difficult. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the perfect science is, but I do agree with you. Julia should have finished second place. So I mean, there's there's a lot of after this of saying like you know, the word disrespect. Julio's been disrespected, and we've kind of thought that for a long time. I mean, why why doesn't this guy get the respect he deserves around the league? I mean, is it just because he's a Dodger and like? Anytime you talk about the Dodgers, it's like, oh, they're the Dodgers, right? They're they're expected to do this. They're expected to have these guys. I mean, is that why he doesn't get the respect around the league? I think there's some of that, but I also think it's not flashy, right? Like his he throws ninety five. He's a three pitch pitcher. He doesn't rack up a hundred strikeouts like a game. I, I think there is some something to that. Uh, I think like Verlander's dominance looks different than it looks different than Julio's dominance, right? But they're both dominant. Uh, but it looks different. People like the sexy way of like, oh, but does Julio ever get 15 strikeouts in a game? No, but he has seven scoreless innings. Like, why does it matter how he gets there? If he gets the seven scoreless innings, it doesn't matter how he got there. Uh, but I do think there's an element of that. Like, if Julio threw 99 from the left side or, like, had crazy spin and, like, all the stuff that people talk about these days, like, I think maybe he gets looked at differently. Uh, I think that I think part of that is that, and part of it is what you said. I think it's like, oh yeah, he's a Dodger. He's supposed to do that. Uh, they won 111 games, like whatever. They were supposed to win that many games. Uh, I think there's a lot to that as well. Uh, or like even the wins, right? Like last year he had 20 wins, and I was like, yeah, but it was because he had the Dodger lineup. Imagine Sandy if he had the Dodger lineup, uh, but he doesn't. <laughs> Sorry, like that's just a, we have to vote based on what actually happened, and not all these hypotheticals. And that's something that I fight about with people all the time. Uh, I get into a lot of fights about votes, whether it's this or Hall of Fame. <laughs> it's kind of like my it's my my brand at this point. Uh, but yeah, that's the a long way of saying Julio should have been second place. All right, and so for our listeners, escuchen, escuchen what he's saying, okay? Because I know a lot of you are gonna, and I get it. We're we're Dodger fans. We're this is a Dodgers podcast, and I get it. Juan is in Miami. Don't be mad at me like the people in Japan. Yeah, but it's because it makes a big difference because everyone's going to be like, oh, well, Julio got more wins or Julio's ERA was better or Julio's all that. But pitching more innings makes a difference because if Julio would have come close to the amount of innings that Sandy pitched, maybe then Julio's ERA goes up. So that that's... I, I get it. It's it's hard sometimes. We look at it with you know, our hearts, and we we want him to to be successful. But he the man is telling you the criteria. Innings pitch matters, and it matters because it affects all your other numbers. So I I know you just sat here and said, look, it doesn't make any sense. I want to segue to another award, and that was the manager of the year. I myself am surprised that Roberts even got was named a finalist and for him to even finish second i i know you know our friend fred rogan is pissed that 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 roberts didn't win it and it's like look the fact that he even got acknowledged because i feel that guy gets taken for granted i know everybody hates him everybody blames him for the dodgers you know losing what roberts does really well and i think it's part of what he was recognized for in that award because it's a regular season award, it's not a postseason award, it's a regular season award, is how he manages that clubhouse, how he can get these guys to buy in for a whole season. 
Were you surprised that that Buckshaw Walter and do, do you have a vote for the manager of the year or just for Cy Young? Yeah, I just voted for Cy Young. I actually think man, I, this might be controversial, but I, whatever, I don't care. I actually don't. I mean, I think manager of the year should probably go away. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that award it's so hard, right? Like, it's and with the way baseball has kind of gone with you know, there's a lot of front office involvements and there's a lot of things that kind of go on uh, analytics and stuff like that. Uh, I wasn't around for the 70s, but I can only based on what people told me from 70s and 80s. Like, it seems like managers had more on their plate back in those days than they do probably these days. Um, I can't confirm that. Just this is just based on what people have told me. I'm only 29. I can't go back those a couple of decades. But uh, I think it's just such a hard award. Like, how do you how do you kind of like quantify? what a manager does on a daily basis, right? Like, is, is it just wins? Like, why did Rob Thompson not get any votes? Right. I mean, he he took over midseason, and I know it was it's just a regular season award, but he took over midseason and took his team to the playoffs. And he wasn't even a finalist. Like, Ali Marmol, he took over the Cardinals, first year, first year manager. It seemed like his players liked him, but, like, I can't vote based on what I think. Like, I mean, I'm not – I don't cover the Cardinals, so I can't, I can't tell you what – he means to those guys on a daily basis. I can only tell you what Dave does, right? Like, so how do I, how can I possibly vote on 30 managers and what they might've done? Like, what about like, if you're a manager of, of a rebuilding team and you're getting the best out of your players, like, like yeah. Brandon Hyde just won because of that. But like, what if that's just because they got better and not because of what Brandon Hyde did? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the dynamic of that clubhouse. I can't, I can't speak on that. So it's not that I'm against managers. I think managers do a great job. But I'm saying like <laughs> I'm saying like I just it's hard for me to vote on that. And I don't know how anyone can vote unless you just ask a bunch of people like, hey, like how's your manager? And like I don't think that's a very good way of voting. Like there's a way of voting for Cy Young and MVP and Rookie of the Year because you see the you see the numbers, you see the, the actual data. But I don't know how you vote for manager of the year without only seeing wins. So if it, if it's based on wins, then Dave should win every year, right? Like, why did Buck yeah. Showalter win and then not be Brian Snicker, who beat him in the division? Yeah. And did he win the award as soon as the Mets hit 100 wins? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how you can possibly vote on, on the impact of a manager without being there every single day. And I'm not there every single day with other teams, so I can't possibly vote on that. That's just kind of my take on on manager of the year. You know, I, I find it very interesting. I, I know he he's not a colleague because he's a columnist, but Plaschke a while back wrote an article about after they got eliminated that Dave Roberts needs more help in in, in the dugout. And I kind of don't understand that argument. Uh, only in the sense that if you feel that replacing Bob Garrett and getting Roberts a different bench coach is going to be the difference, then isn't that kind of an indictment of Roberts, that Roberts maybe himself is not a good enough manager? And if we have Friedman telling us all the time, I know you weren't at that press conference, um, but uh, there were some other people, you know, your, our, our homeboy Castillo always ruffling feathers, right? Pissing people off. But when Friedman is saying, hey, every year I tell you guys that Roberts is the one making the decisions, if we're getting the same result every year, then again, why is Roberts the manager? So I, I find it very interesting, and I think your point is valid in the sense of maybe we don't need this award 
but we can't have it both ways with these managers, right? Yeah, and that's again, that's all part of the hard, the difficult part of it. Like before the game, they 100% talk over different scenarios, right? Like, what if this happens? What if this happens? You know, like, was Blake Snell getting pulled out of game six on the script? Maybe, like, there's no way your eyes tell you to take that guy out of the game before right, the game. Right. You know, like, there's just no way. Uh, sorry, Kevin Cash. I hope you're not listening. <laughs> uh, but, like, there's, there, there's definitely talks about that right like every game they talk about different scenarios but at the end of the day it, it's ultimately up to dave to go up there and make the decisions so i don't think i think when people say like yeah the front office tells dave what to do i don't think that's accurate i mean they talk about different scenarios and in the on the moment dave's the one that has to make the decision sometimes he makes the right decision sometimes he makes the wrong decision i mean i promise you putting an alex vesia on a one old count and game four of the NLDS was not part of a script. <laughs> right. That's not, I was not part of the script. Uh, right. Like Tommy Kaley not getting a single out in, in the, you know, in the, the start of that inning, which is like somehow doesn't get talked about, uh, but he didn't get a single out. And then that changes the whole thing. And then at that moment, it's like, okay, Dave, Dave, you know, Bob Guerin, Danny Lehman, they all had to start talking about, okay, what happens now? Who's, who's on deck? Where's Soto? Where's Machado? And the game goes by fast. I mean, like, yeah, those things happen really fast. When you're watching on TV, you don't really realize it. But when things are going on, you're like, dude, this is quick. So I think there is something to, like, managers have a tough job. Uh, I don't think they, you know, front offices make decisions. But I do think there's a, there is a lot more influence in front offices in how games are managed. Uh, before the before and after games, they, t- they have a bunch of conversation. Uh, and that's the reality of it. And I think that's why people kind of get a mistake of like, yeah, it's uh, it's just a front office doing all these things. Like I don't think that's necessarily true. So I, I hear that a lot that the game speeds up on on Roberts in the postseason. Do you think that's a valid criticism? I think so. I mean, I think so. I mean, I don't think I don't think it's it's not the, like it's not like a, necessarily that something bad on him, but it's it's a it's a hard way to it's a hard way to put it i mean i I do think the game goes a little bit fast i i I think game four the game super sped up on all of them i mean it's not just dave it's i mean his whole coaching staff i mean i think that game four um you can kind of see it i mean there's no way there's no reason for alex vesey to not be ready you you know you know juan you know juan soto's coming you know jake cornerworth is coming up like why is he not ready to go um and i think at that moment that that part of it is kind of inexcusable and they know that like I mean, so I think certain certain aspects of that it does speed up, but other decisions. I mean, I think the Kershaw one, like back in 2019, I don't think that was the game speeding up. I think that was just a bad decision. Like I think that it wasn't. I think it speeds up sometimes, and I think it sometimes it doesn't. Um, but it also like I mean, he managed a great game in Game One, right? Like that was uh, that was. An, oh my God, things something's happening here. But he managed a great game in Game One, and like nobody talks about that because. It's just kind of what you're supposed to do, uh, and then game th- game four kind of things got got out of hand. So, man, being a manager is brutal. I mean, like there's there's it's a no win situation unless you're Buck Walter, I guess, in in New York. Uh, <laughs> but, like it's just it's tough, man. It's it's a tough thing. None of us can kind of relate to because we've never done it. Uh, right. But I think it definitely sped up on them in game four. That's for sure. Were you surprised by Mookie and Freddie Freeman finishing four and five in the MVP race? No, I actually thought Freeman might have been a finalist. Uh, uh-huh. I think 
he might have been a finalist there. I think Mookie finishing Mookie finished fat, fifth, right? Is that what it was? Or... Wait, was that what it was, Babyface? I, I thought it was, it was he was four, and then Freeman was five. I yeah, thought it was reverse, yeah. So Mookie right. finished. That I'm surprised. If that's actually true, that, that I'm surprised. I think Freddie should have been ahead. Yeah. Uh, but I thought I thought Freddie had a chance to be a finalist. Uh, but I think they, I think they got the finalists right. I think Arenado, Goldsmith, and Machado. I actually think Machado should have won the award. Um, but that's it. Oh man, you're just gonna you're just endearing yourself to all the Dodger fans right now. Hearing all the Machado I love. It. Listen, I get it. I get why what Dodger fans don't like him. That dude is so good. Yes, uh, he is incredible. When he wants to play, he's re- he's very good. And he wanted to play all season this year, which is. But isn't uh, that frustrating? And isn't that an indictment yeah. of him? I don't know if it's. I think he became a leader this year, and I think it took him maybe a little bit longer than most people would have liked. Um, but I think you're kind of getting a, a, a guy who's understanding. Like I gotta be a guy. I gotta be the guy for my team. Uh, I mean, if you look at that, what that team kind of went through, man. Like Tatis getting suspended, training for so. Like we saw some of those lineups in May and June. They were brutal lineups. Yeah. Like I, I, we had. They had better lineups in OKC. Like that lineup was bad, <laughs> and then he was the only guy producing. Uh, and got him into the playoffs and obviously beat the Dodgers and stuff. I, I know fans don't want to hear that part, but I think he should have won MVP. It, it was Freddie Four, Mookie Fifth. Freddie right, Four, yeah. That, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. That, that adds up. I think, like, all this Alonzo talk. Like, New York is different, right? Like, New York is always going to get this, like, pres, pre, fucking pres, preferential treatment, whatever. Right. Uh, like, with Buck, Show, Walter. You, I thought, like, Alonzo, people were like, oh, he should be fourth. And I was like, no, he's not going to be fourth. Like, that's not going to happen. But whatever. I, th- I, think the, I think the the top five makes a lot of sense. I mean, but Machado only tries when he plays against the Dodgers, right? That's the only time you see this guy, like, like, like go out of his way to do all kinds of stuff. No, he that's the bases. problem. See, no, I'm not going to let you get away with that. That's the problem, right? It's because we only watch the show pods when they're playing the Dodgers. So, of course, when we watch them, it notices, we feel like, oh, he's trying really hard against the Dodgers. Do you watch yeah. him against, you know, the 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 Giants, or do you watch him against the uh, random series against the the Pirates? Sometimes, I mean, we don't but, know but, that. But then you you'll see clips of him like in other games where like he didn't hustle like down the line or something, and like and then you see it against the Dodgers. Like, dude, like really? Like, but but that's why I think it's important. I think what Juan had brought up. How what is the criteria for voting for these things? I didn't see Sandy, Sandy Alcantara's every start. I saw Julio's, all of Julio's starts, but I didn't see Sandy. So as much as I want Julio to win, I can't sit here and make a realistic argument to you to why Sandy shouldn't because when they were in Miami, he smoked the Dodgers. I mean, that was a complete game. You know, so if he was pitching like that with less... I mean, doesn't he deserve more credit? I, I, I agree with you, Juan. I just think voting for these awards, I just I don't understand the criteria and I don't know how we we come to conclusions on this stuff. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I vote for them and I, I guess I don't even know the criteria sometimes too, so <laughs> So there we have it. Uh, our, our Dominican brother, El Principe de Miami. I, I, before I let you go, I, I want to know about your Delfines. What, what do you think? Do you think now that the Bills have come back to earth, do you think your Delfines are, are going to pull it off? And, and do you think Tua is legit? Yeah, so when you guys tweet out this link for the podcast, I'm going to put in my GoFundMe right <laughs> under that for tickets to the Super Bowl in Glendale a week before uh, spring training starts. 
So if you guys, if you guys want to help out a worthy cause, it's, <laughs> it's for my two tickets to go see the Dolphins and the uh, Eagles in the Super Bowl. Wow. So you, you think they're, they're legit, huh? I think so. I mean, our defense kind of stinks, but we can't be stopped. The offense is incredible. <laughs> Tua, I'm a big Tua guy. Undefeated when Tua plays. There we I mean, go. Seen, seen, seen some of Juan's tweets. I think he's as bad as some Dodger fans. I think it wasn't like last Sunday. Like he said like seven seconds in or something like that. You guys are ruined by Sunday. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, that's, that's a real fan right there, man. Yeah, we were playing the Lions and we went down 14-0. And I was like, and I tweeted at them. I was like, I hate you. <laughs> I was over it. They won, that, they won the game, though, so I forgave them. Patience. Patience is the key. Anyways, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Juan Toribio, who writes for MLB.com. He covers the Dodgers. He's on the Dodgers beat. Make sure you check out his stuff. Uh, the guy's giving you all the information. As I said, my my girl always has questions about the stuff that Juan is writing, saying, what does he mean by this? Why? You didn't tell me this. So and it's good to know that she gets more info about the Dodgers from you than from me. But anyways, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure you subscribe. Subscribe to our YouTube channel YouTube channel, so you can see Juan's lovely uh, face. This episode has been brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. Para la próxima, nos vemos. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.